You know, on Mother's Day, we turn our hearts and our thoughts toward the family. You know, the family was birthed in the heart of God. Just to think, the creator of this universe, man, he had created all those billions of stars and he knows them by name. He had created a perfect universe that absolutely operates within the laws that he has established. But you know, God said, no, I'm going to go a little further. Created the family. And you know, really, there are two things I believe that are very special to the heart of God. The family and the church. Because you see, the family is God's human family by creation. And God created every, and he loves every person. And Jesus died for every person. He wants to be the father. He wants to be their savior. He gave them a choice. But whether they choose to know Jesus, be saved or not, God still created them, and they're part of the human family. And a part of the family is, uh, is the family, all right? Well, but the church is his spiritual family. It says we're bo- the body of Christ. We're members one of another and says we're all children of God by faith in Jesus Christ. So there's really two things that are very close to the heart of God. One, the human family, husband, wife, children, but also the spiritual family, his church. Today we're going to focus on the earthly family. I, I love the way God put it together. I have some verses for you that will be on the screen. In 7, look what he says. And the Lord God of the dust of the ground. <laughs> Boy, I wish you'd do, spend a lot of time taking care of this dust, don't we? And God formed man of the dust of the ground and to breathe into his nostrils the breath of life and he became a living soul. And then verse 8 says, Then the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden and there he put the man whom he had formed. All right, we go on and we read in verse 18 that... Uh, God said, well, it's not good for a man to be alone with what he says. And the Lord God said, it's not good for a man to be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. Now, in the garden, Adam had all the animals. He had already named them. But that, that never satisfied God nor Adam. So it said, I, I'm just going to make a helper com- comparable and, to him. And, and look how God did it. You know, this is amazing. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam. He slept and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib, then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman and he brought her to the man. Now we see the family enlarging. There was the man and then out of the side of man, which is, has great spiritual uh, uh, implications, he, he takes a rib and makes a woman. And he says, and uh, he brought her to uh, Adam. And he said, the, and Adam said, when he saw Eve, this is bone of my bone, literally, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called a woman because she was taken out of a man. So here we see that God created Adam, 
planted him in the garden. He said, that's not good to be alone. He needs a family. And then out of, out of his own body, he created Eve. And, and says, and for this reason, it says in verse 24, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. But what an awesome picture of the family. The two become one. Joined in heart, mind, and every way. The two become one. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and they were not ashamed. Well, now that's a big part of the family. The husband, the wife, but wait a minute. In chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, And Adam knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain. And, I, and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. Now, piece by piece, husband, wife, child. And in verse 4 again, this time, his brother Abel. And Abel was a sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the soil. We see God just putting the family together, piece by piece. And by the way, they were in a wonderful, I mean, the Garden of Eden. Can you imagine? You know, uh, I, I saw a bouquet of flowers yesterday. My, my sons had sent it to his mother, and, and um, I got to do something. But anyway, he'd sent the flowers. <laughs> it's, it's it is real late. I looked at I said, wait a minute. There was a lily, rose. There was a yellow flower. I just stood back in amazement. And I said, in one vase were the most beautiful, beautiful things that your eyes, and it's such brilliant color. You know, everything God did, he did with majesty and glory and power. And, and so when he put the family together, I, I mean, he, he just did it perfectly. And he absolutely marvelous, beautiful, magnificent, perfect place to live. It's a shame that man messed it up when he sinned. But you know, it is interesting. The Word of God talks about the, the mother the father, the wife, the husband, and the children. But I particularly wanted to show us important a godly woman is. She may be single. She may be a godly, a wife. But I, I'm t it's almost like, you know, Solomon's men that ever lived. Over in the last of Proverbs, God said, I, I just want to show you how I feel about a godly woman. And he penned the most beautiful thing. And, 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 and I've read this so many times at the funeral of a woman who has been godly and lived a, a, a life. I want you to listen to what it says about, about a godly woman, what God said about her. Who find a virtuous wife or a godly woman? Now get this. Her worth is far above rubies. You know what God said? You can't put a price on a godly woman. You can't put a verse on a godly mother. You can't put a price on them. They're far above rubies. The heart of her husband safely trusts her, so he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not evil all the days of her life. And he's just painting a picture of a godly woman. She does him good and not evil all the days of his life. 
and goes on in verse 25. Now listen how he describes. Strength and honor are her clothing. Wow. Well, those are two powerful words, aren't they? Strength and honor are her clothing. She shall rejoice in the time to come. She has confidence in God and what God's going to do with their family. Boy, how true this is. She opens her mouth with wisdom. And on her tongue is the law of kindness. What a picture. It's just like God said, let, let me just paint you a picture of a godly wife or mother. On her, she's got, on her tongue is the law of wisdom. And notice what it says. She watches well over the ways of her household. She does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed. I guess that's why we have Mother's Day. We just need to take a time when we rise up and give, give the, the thanks and the praise. She, her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, he praises her. Many daughters have done well, but you excel them all. Charm is deceitful, and beauty is passing. But a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. It's like God wanted to give a tribute to a part of the family that he created and to show how significant it was for, for, uh, to be a godly mother. Give her the fruit of her hands and let her own works praise her in the gate. As I bring this message on the family, I thought it would be very appropriate as we get into that to think back about our mothers, let me say this. Some of us have such wonderful, fond, heartwarming memories of our mother. There's just a, spe a, a special place in our heart that she filled. And we thank God for that. But others were not did not have that blessed privilege. They may have been raised in which it was a very dysfunctional family. But now, don't misunderstand me. All families are dysfunctional. Some are just worse than others. <laughs> There's no perfect family. But yet your experience with your mother was, was not really that good. Maybe she left you when you were young. Maybe she said things that hurt you and left an indelible, indelible scar on your soul. So you're, when you think of her, your memories aren't fond. I trust that you're forgiven her, but you need to thank God that she didn't have an abortion. <laughs> you need to thank God that she brought you into this world. And so today we can be thankful. And I think we need to pause right now, just pray for a moment. Would you join me? And let's thank God for our mothers. If your mother was a godly, a loving, caring woman who wrote on the pages of your heart her wisdom and her love, then you just, you, you're blessed. You just thank God for her. But maybe if yours was an unpleasant experience, you'd be sure that there's no bitterness and you thank God that she didn't have you aborted and that she went through the pain of childbearing so that you could have a physical life on this earth.
Father, you painted a beautiful picture of a godly mother. And Lord, we thank you that so many of us had that experience. Others did not. But today we pause and thank you for the family. Mother, father, brothers, sisters. But also we just especially pause to thank you for our mother and what she meant to us and what a blessing she was and if she's still living is to our life. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, there's one of the most amazing stories in the Bible that I have ever read. Elijah performed, I think, maybe 18 miracles, about 18, Elijah did. Elisha asked the Lord to give him a double portion, and I think he performed 36 miracles. But in 2 Kings chapter 4, it's just listing the miracles that Elijah performed. But boy, there is one <laughs> that shows the faith of a mother. Well, it's all about the family. And now I'm going to do something I don't normally do. I usually just pick out one or two verses out of a passage. But this, this story, you, you, you need to get the whole story. I don't just need to give you part of it. You need, you need to hear the rest of the story. All right, so I'm going to read about 20 verses. Now, it's on the screen, so you, you, you don't tune out. Say, well, he gets through. I, no, you need to read this. And you need to listen. All right, okay, here it is. It happened one day that Elisha went to Shunem. There was a notable woman, and she persuaded him to eat some food. He had not known this lady. He just passing through. She said, come on in and eat with us. So it was, as he passed by, often he would turn in and eat with her. He just did it more than one time. And she said, look, to her husband, look, I know this is a holy man of God who passes by us regularly. Let us build a small upper room on the wall. Put a bed in there for him, a table and a chair and a lampstand, so that when he comes by, he can turn in, spend the night with us. And it happened one day that when he came there, he turned to the upper room and lay down. So here's Elijah just resting in that prophet's chamber that they had made for him. Then he said to Gehazi, his servant, call the Shunammite woman. And when he had called her, she stood before Elijah. Now Elijah let the servant do the talking to her. He said to him, say now to her, look, you have been so concerned for us. You've, with all your care, what can I do for you? Elijah said, man, this is a two-way street. You blessed me, now I want to bless you. And what can I do for you? Do you want me to speak to the, to your, on your behalf to the king? Evidently, Elijah could just go and speak to the king. Or to the commander she, uh, of the army. She, she answered, I dwell among my own people. Those aren't my people. I just dwell among my own people. So he said, when, what then is to be done for her? Look what Gehazi, and Gehazi answered, actually, she has no son, and her husband is old. Oh, so he said, call her. And when he had called her, she stood in the doorway. Then he said, about this time next year, you shall embrace a son. And she said, no, my Lord, men of God, do not lie to your maidservant. My husband, she knew how old her husband was, and knew the ch there wasn't any chance she was going to have a child. She said, don't lie to me now. Don't, don't deceive me. 
But the woman conceived and bore a son when the appointed time had come, of which Elijah told her. So here we see this family, her husband, the woman, and the child that was a gift from God, uh, the subject of uh, Elijah's prophecy. Well, the child grew. Now, it happened that one day he went out to his father, to the reapers. He said to his father, my head, my head. He had, was having an awful headache. So he said to his servant, well, carry him to his mother. Take him to his mother. And when he had taken him and brought him to his mother, he sat on her knees till noon. And then he died. Now, wait a minute. This was a son of promise. And she told Elijah, now don't, don't mess me up here. But, she, but you know what she did? When the child died, she went up to the prophet's chamber and laid him on the bed of the man of God. So she has something in mind here. So she takes him up to where Elijah sleeps and lays him on the bed, shut the door upon him, and went out. Okay. Then she called to her husband and said, Please send me one of the young men and one of the donkeys that I may run to the man of God and come back. Man, she said, I'm going to see Elijah right now. Well, her husband didn't understand it. And he said, Why are you going to him today? It's neither the new moon nor the Sabbath. (laughs) She said, it is well. Now, wait a minute. Her husband said, what, what's special about today that you're going to go and, to the man of God at Mount Carmel? Uh, and she, and he, she, he, she just said, she, it's not new moon or the Sabbath. She just said these words, it is well. Well, I don't know if it was well or not. That, that little boy was dead. He was laying on Elijah's bed upstairs. And she just said to her husband, don't worry about where I'm going. It's well. Then he saddled the donkey and said to her servant, drive, go forward. Do not slacken the pace for me unless I tell you. So she goes as fast as she can. And so she departed and went to the man of God at Mount Carmel. And so it was when the man of God saw her afar off. He said to his servant Gehazi, look, the Shunammite woman. Now, this is the part I'm going to preach to you in a little bit about so you can get prepared. Please run to her. Please run now to meet her and say, is it well with you? Is it well with your husband? Is it well with your child? And she answered. Look what she said. It is well. Wait a minute. Your son of promise is laying on the bed of Elijah and he's dead. You told your husband it is well. Now you tell the man of God it is well. And so she came to the man of God at at the hill. She caught him by the feet. She just grabbed Elijah by the feet. Gehazi came near to push her away. But the man of God said, let her alone. Now listen to this. This is important. Let her alone for her soul is in deep distress. And the Lord has hidden it from me and not told me. Usually Elijah knew way before what God was up to. But God had not told him about the child dying. And he said to Gehazi, let her alone because God hadn't shown me what's going on. 
And she said, did I ask of you, my Lord, did I not say, do not deceive me? (laughs) And, And here her son was dead. Then he said to Gehazi, get yourself ready. Take my staff in your hand. Be on your way. If you meet anyone, do not greet him. If anyone greets you, do not answer him. But when you get there, lay my staff on the face of the child. Evidently, God had used that staff before. It had power or something. And the mother of the child said, she told uh, Elijah, you can send him ahead, but you, you're not going to be out of my sight, buddy. I'm gonna, it says, and the mother of the child said, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. I'm staying with you till you complete what you need to do. So she arose and followed him. Now, Gehazi went ahead of him and laid the staff on the face of the child, but there was another voice there was neither voice nor hearing. Therefore, he went back to meet him and said, him, told him, saying, The child has not awakened. So Gehazi laid the staff on the child's face. Nothing happened. He goes back. He meets Elijah and said, Still dead. Still dead. When Elisha came into the house, there was the child on his bed. He went in, therefore, shut the door behind the two of them. It was Elijah and the dead son. And he prayed to the Lord. You know what he was saying the Lord? I want you to tell me what to do. I, I, I'm going to raise this son up. You would have not given her this for her him to die. So I, I promised her that it, it was going to be, there was going to be any deception. He says, now God, you need to show me what to do. Well, look at what he did. It's amazing. He went up and lay on the child. And put his mouth on his mouth. What do you call that when you artificial respiration or something? What do you call that? When they breathe and try to help people start breathing. But anyway, I'm not going to go there. He went up and lay on the child, put his mouth on his mouth, eyes on his eyes, his hands on his hands, himself out on the child, and the flesh came warm. Well, he got out of the room. And in the next verse it says, he returned and walked back and forth. And now the child had become warm, but he hadn't raised yet. So can you see Elijah just walking back and forth in the house? He'd got it already told him what to do. You know what? He was just waiting on God. He would just tell him what to do next. So, so after he returned and walked back and forth the house, and again he went up and stretched himself out on him. Then the child sneezed seven times. You know how the Bible goes into the details? The seven times, and the child opened his eyes. And he called Gehazi and said, call the Shunammite woman. He called her. She came in to him, said, pick up on And the story ends right there. Elijah didn't start a healing ministry. <laughs> he didn't pitch a tent. Now, I want to show you about four or five things. First of all, I want to show you the faith of the Two times she said it was well when it was not well. And remember 4, 421? It said, and, and, and 421, it says, uh, she, he called, she expected a miracle. And so she went up uh, and laid him on the bed of the man of God. She was a miracle. Now I want you to notice the faith of his mother. She went up and laid this. She didn't put it in his own bed. 
He put him in the bed of the man of God and shut the door and went out. This woman's walking in faith in an impossible situation. And you go on in verse, um, uh, to see that she moves out in faith. In verse 22 through 25, I want you to notice what it says. Moved out in faith. She called to her husband, send me one of the men and one of the donkeys that I may run to the man of God and come back. She was moving. She was acting on her faith. She laid the, on the, man, the son on the bed of the man of God and called for a donkey so she could go. And her husband said, well, you not, don't need to go. It's not a new moon. It's not the Sabbath. Now, I want you to look at her faith. She said, it's well. Wait a minute. It's not well. He's dead. It's not well, really. In, in the physical realm, it wasn't well. In fact, it was pretty heartbreaking. Pretty disappointing. But in her heart, she knew that God had the final word. Now, there's a word to us here today. We're going through situations in our life, and they look pretty impossible. They look pretty impossible. But we know that God has given us some promises along the way. He's given us some promises. And 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 Elijah told her, if things, I'm not going to deceive you. You're going to have a son. And, and so he was going to grow up to be a man. So, so she, she knew that it was all well because she believed what God had spoken to her, her. And she moved out on her faith. All right. I want you to notice also Elijah's questions to her. He saw her coming from a distance. And in chapter 4, verse 25 and 26, I want you to look at this. So she departed and went to the man of God at Mount Carmel. So it was the man of God saw her far off and said to his servant Gehazi, look, the Shunammite woman. Now, and don't you look at the next verse. Verse 26. Please run to meet her and say to her. Now, this is the three questions, the three things I want to deal with this morning. Is it well with you? Is it well with your husband? Is it well with your child? That's just talking about the family, isn't it? Don't you believe God's concerned about your family? Don't you believe he's concerned about my family? Don't you believe God says, hey, is it well with you? Is it well with your husband? Is it well with your child? That's what Elijah wanted to know. And you know what she said? It is well. Wait a minute. It's laying on the bed of Elijah dead. But you know, faith does, does, doesn't just look at the circumstances. Faith is not controlled by the circumstances. Faith does not look at just what you see. Faith goes back to the God or the promise of God. And Elijah said, I'm going to lie to you and I'm not going to deceive you. It's going to be well. And so forgot that. And she was going to remind Elijah. Uh, and, and so he had, is it well with you? Is it well with your husband and with your child? And he, she said, it is well. I want you to notice the determination of a mother when everything wasn't well. In verse 30, and the mouth said, as the Lord lives and your soul lives, I will not leave you. Elijah, I want you to know one thing. You're stuck with me. That boy rises from the dead. Whew. That's a lot of pressure, ain't it? said, yeah, I'm not leaving you. You're not getting out of my sight till my son's breathing. 
Boy, she had a faith that was determined. Let me tell you something. Don't you give up on the purpose of God. Don't you give up on what God's promised you. Don't you give up on the promise God gave you about that child. Don't give up on that promise that God gave you about that son-in-law or daughter-in-law that aren't walking with God. Don't, don't give up on that promise God uh, gave you about the marriage of your kid. Don't, don't give up on it. Don't. Don't do that. Why should you give up on the promises of God? God is not a man that he could lie. Now, if he hadn't spoken to you and given you a word, then that's another story. But if there's some promise God has given you along the way about something in your family, then you don't need to let go of it. That's just called unbelief. The Bible says when God comes, will he find faith on the earth? So you don't need to back out on God. He needs to remove from you an evil heart of unbelief. And what God has promised you, you need to believe. And boy, she absolutely said, you're not going to get out of my sight. Well, I, I just want to show you the power of God and faith and in, in, in the man of God, the power of faith. And, and he told him what to do. <laughs> and he laid flat on him and his eyes on his eyes, his mouth. That, that's amazing. The staff didn't do it. But I, can you imagine, I, that, that child was kind of small. I don't believe Elijah was a big man, but he just laid down. No wonder why uh, the Bible says that child sees seven times. What did that have to do with it? You say, Brother Fred, why did he see, uh, sneeze seven times? I ain't got a clue. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know why. But it just showed Elijah that he was alive. And breathing. And then Elijah just got up. And he was breathing and he was well. And he gave him to his mother. And she went out. And that's the rest of the story. That we were told. But now let me, let me just ask you this. <clears throat> I want you to answer those three questions this morning. I, I, first of all I'll address to the husband. Is it well with you? Is it well with you? In your relationship with your wife. In your relationship to your children. That's a good question to ask. Because God loves the family. And that is the fabric of a nation. But I'm telling you that's where godly children are raised. And where a witness of the power of Jesus to make a marriage good. That's where it's all at. You see, God never intended for us to endure our marriage. He intended for us to enjoy our marriage. Some of you say, well, I guess I said I do, and I'll be putting up with the rest of my life. Yeah, okay, You, 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 you better not leave, but I'll tell you one thing. God doesn't want you to be miserable, and God doesn't want you to be look like you're sucking lemons. You need to endure. So I want to ask you, husband, is it well with you? I want to ask you this. Have you accepted your wife like she is? Are you trying to remake her in the image you want her? That's crazy. Listen, when Adam saw Eve, he said, this is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. Uh, but she, well, she'll be called woman. She was taken out of a man. God didn't say to, Adam didn't say to God, take her back and remake her. It's not what I was looking for. <laughs> he did not say that. He was thrilled with what God gave him. Thrilled. You know, 
This is sad. My God, it's sad. I was crossing the, in front of Publix to go in there to get something. And this woman hollered at me right in the middle of the road and said, Preacher, pray for me. And I, I didn't know who it was. And so I stopped right in the middle of the road. But I noticed that she was kind of dressed immodestly. And I, it, was just, it was just obvious. And she said to me, you, you, you need to pray for my husband. He's hooked on pornography. And then it occurred to me, you know why she's dressed the way she's dressed? That's the kind of image her husband's trying to make her in. God have mercy. Let me tell you something. Your wife may not be perfect, but you aren't either. And you are a work, she is a work in progress, and you are a work in progress. And so I'm saying to you, you need to accept her. And if you think she needs to change, you need to do some serious praying and let God do the changing, and you do cooperate with God. Did you get that from me? God's the one that changes. So there's acceptance. How are you doing, husband? Have you accepted your wife? Let me ask you a question. You, I, you say, oh, yes, you know, brother, friend, do you love your wife? Do you love her? You know what it says in Ephesians 3.25? Husbands, love your wives like Christ loved the church. Husbands, love your wife like Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. You know, it's called um, agape love. Husbands, love your wives. There there are three words in the Greek language which are beautiful words for love. One, phileo, which is a love between friends. And the other is eros, which is physical love. And then the other one is agape, which is the love of God. Now, here's the thing. You're to love your wife with the love of God. Yeah, and and you, you will have physical love, but you're to love her with the love of God. And let me tell you about the love of God. It's translated this way. You can't translate it any other way. The love of God is you always want the highest and the best for the person you love. When I tell you God loves you, you can put this down and you can remember it that God always wants what's best and highest for you. He's always out to help you and never out to hurt you. So have you accepted your wife? Do you love her with the love of Jesus? Do you always want what's highest and best You see, the Bible says that we'll not love with our words and our tongue. We love in deed and in truth. I want to ask you a question. Do your actions show your wife that you love her? Do they show her? I want to ask you this. Does your attitude speak volumes to your wife of how much she means to you and how much you love her? What about your attitude? What about it? Come on. You know, sometimes emotions convey more than words could ever say. Listen, I've been married 60 years to the same lady, and I'm not planning on changing. I'll tell you that right now. But I'll be honest with you. She doesn't have to say a word to me. I can look at her and know exactly what she's feeling. Exactly what she's feeling. And she can with me, too. She said, what's wrong with you? I said, nothing. She said, you lying. (laughs) What about your attitude? Seriously, uh, to, towards your wife, 
That love has a, means it's a good attitude. It, it means that you, you've accepted her. You want what's highest and best for her. You're not going, you don't want to hurt her. And let me just say one thing. You need to know when to keep your mouth shut. Now, you really do. You feel like you've got to just unload and say everything you feel. You better not because she'll never let you forget it. I tell you right now. <laughs> oh, no. Uh-uh. My wife remembers things I said 30 years ago. I forgot them long ago. But she didn't. You say, my words aren't that important. Oh, yes, they are. A words either heal or hurt. Words either build up or tear down. Words either encourage or discourage. Oh, you don't know how important your words are. Men are more visual. Women are verbal. And I'm telling you what you say to your wife. If you don't say it in agape, and if it's not with the right attitude, all you're doing is hurting her. You're not building her up. You're not. But, 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 but by the Fred, she just needs to be corrected. Well, you can do it in love. You don't have to have a bad attitude. Come on. You know that verse in the Bible, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. <laughs> Y'all know it's not in the Bible. <laughs> oh, Lord, some of you have been looking for it for years. <laughs> That's a lot. Words do hurt, okay? They hurt. And so if you're speaking hurtful words, you need to quit. Well, I can't help it. Yes, you can. Well, you, I tell you what, you, why don't you ask God to help you? I want to ask you with your husbands, is it well with you? Is it well with you? It's not going to be well until Jesus has his rightful place in your life. Now, you expect me to say that. But I'm telling you, it is my deepest conviction. It is not going to be well with you until Jesus has his rightful place in your life. Basically, you're just like I am. We're selfish. But when Jesus has his rightful place in our life, we don't become selfish. We become selfless. And it's not about all about us. It's all about us. All about me. It's all about us. And also, let me just say this. You'll never be the husband that you want to be and your wife deserves until Jesus has his rightful place in your life. And I'm not talking about coming to church on Sunday morning from 9.30 to 12.15. I'm not talking about that. I'm just asking you, do you so walk with Jesus every day that he helps you have the right attitude, the right love, and the right love for your wife? Well, you say, get off of us, man. What about the women? Okay, I'm going to right now. He said, is it well with you? Is it well with your husband? She said, it's well. He said, is it well with you, the wife? And she said, it is well. There's one word that I think is so significant in the relationship between. The Bible says for the husband to love his wife as Christ loved the church. And that's only possible when Jesus has his rightful place in your life. But you know what God tells the woman? And I've seen it so many times that where it's not there. In Ephesians 5.33, it says, Nevertheless, let each one of you particular so love his own wife as himself. Love your wife as you love yourself. Let a wife see that she respects 
Oh, let her wife see that she respects her husband. You respect him. My father was a hard man to live with. No, he was not mean. He did not treat my mother mean in any way. No, he didn't do that. But he quit school in the seventh grade, went to work in a cotton mill, was in the Marines when he was 19, came out, became a self-made man, ended up being chief of detectives of of the city of Rock Hill. But he was a quiet man, and, and, and he had been hurt. He had an alcoholic father. And by the way, when his, father and, and when his father and mother became homeless, we already had nine in a house with three bedrooms. He took them in, and that made 11. Now, you try to get 11 people in one house with one bathroom, and I'll give you a million dollars. It don't work. It will not work. You will perish. <laughs> You'll perish. But you know, I'll tell you one thing, one thing about my mother. She always respected him. There were times I, when I got older, I said, you know, I don't think that's right. But if you lose respect for your husband, then you're not going to show him respect. And so you have to forgive him when he messes up. And certainly when you, you, you communicate about things that aren't right, you don't go talk to somebody else about the problems with your husband. You talk to him. Do you understand? You don't go to talk to some other woman about your wife. You talk to her. But, you know, sometimes women lose respect for their husbands because there no, are no perfect husbands now. I'm just, I'm just going to tell you. They're just not. So you are going to be disappointed. Let's see. I'm trying to think of the days that I'm perfect. <laughs> I'm not perfect on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. I'm never perfect. Thank God for forgiveness. Thank God for understanding. And thank God that you, when you lose respect, you restore it. And you build on it. Let, let me just tell you. With your words, just like husbands can encourage their wives, with your words, you can encourage your husband. You can know how much you appreciate him, what he does how he works, how he provides for the family. And I trust how that he is uh, a spiritual leader, wants to be or tries to be, desires to be the spiritual leader in your home. You you may think that men don't need encouragement. I'm I'm telling you, they really do. They really need to know they're appreciated and respected. And same thing is true of women. But sometimes wives just take it for granted. Well, he knows I appreciate him and he knows I respect him. No, you, you, you... He needs to see that what he says to you is important, that you recognize his authority in the home in areas. See, I want to ask you a question. Is it well with you as a wife? You know, it's a matter of the two becoming one, so we each one give up our life. We each one give up our own selfish, self-centered life. We each one give up our selfish, self-centered life, and we become one. That is exactly what it is. But I'm going to say this to you. You'll never be the wife that God has called you to be until Jesus has the rightful place in your life. Until he has the rightful place. Now, when Jesus has the rightful place in your life, he'll, he'll, he'll give you the power to respect, to encourage. When Jesus has the rightful place as a husband and a wife, let me tell you something. The only way a marriage works is when the husband's right with Jesus. 
And when the wife's right with Jesus, if you're not right with Jesus and the wife's not right with Jesus, then somebody's not right and they're selfish and it's going to be conflict, okay? Oh, yeah, be conflict. So here you are right with Jesus and he ain't right with Jesus. And so there's just conflict. And so it all goes back. A house becomes a home when Jesus has his rightful place. Now, some of you really don't believe that. You're trying to make a marriage without the presence and power of God. Well, you're wrong. Would you listen to me? It ain't going to work without Jesus. Sometimes people come for counseling and we treat the symptom. Well, he has anger. You know why? Because he's not right with God. He's not kind. You know why? Because he's not right with God. Well, she doesn't respect me and treat me and appreciate me. You know why? Because she's not right with God. Now, you've got to understand. It's not just emotional things. It's a spiritual battle. Do you understand that? It is a spiritual battle. The devil hates your marriage and he hates your family and he wants to destroy it. And when are we going to realize that it's a spiritual battle? And then it asks about the children. Is it well with you? Is it well with your husband? Is it well with your child? You know what the Bible says to children? And by the way, as long as you're living at home, you're a child, okay? <laughs> you may be a 25-year-old child, but that's all right. It says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is what? Right. It's right. Now, I respect when a person gets 18 and 19 or 20 or 21. I don't know what time they get out of those teenage years and get to place where they got, they got their right mind. I don't really know when that occurs. But I'm just saying, when they live in your house and put their feet under your table, then they're to respect you. It says they're, they're to honor you. They're to honor you. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, that your days may be long upon the earth. You show me some, uh, young men that stop, uh, women that stop honoring their mother and father, and it's not long till they're in serious trouble. they in serious, you say, but they weren't honorable. That, that, that's beside the point. That, that it's not long till their lives are a wreck. He says, honor them so your days will be long on the earth. I'll tell you one thing. The devil hates the church, but I think he hates the family more than he hates the church. Because if he can destroy the family. Listen, I don't know. You know I, I, don't, I don't think everybody in this room's got a good marriage. I know better. We just had two of our young couples get the husband just walked off. They've been sitting in here. I've been preaching to them for years. And they just, well, I don't love you anymore. That makes me sick. What do you do, turn love on like a faucet? No, what it is, you're selfish and you want to live your own life and you think the grass is greener on the other side, but I'm telling you, it has to be mowed just like it does on the other side. <laughs> oh, that, that you're so enamored, it'll, it'll get over. You'll get over it real quick. You'll get over it and you'll regret. One day you'll lay down at night and say, why did I ever leave my children? One day they're going to pray they'll never get in trouble. But they did, and you say, well, it ain't my fault. I'm going to ask you a question. Whose fault is it? You're not going to accept your responsibility? Is it well with you? 
Is it well with your husband or wife? Is it well with your child? Is it well in your family? If it's not, start seeking God with all your heart. Do everything you can to let Jesus control your life. And start building a solid, strong marriage. A two-fold cord is stronger than one. And a three-fold cord cannot be broken. Here's a husband and wife that are bound together. And they're bound together by Jesus. And it says a three-fold cord cannot be broken. When Jesus is not there, trouble is there. When Jesus is there, there is trouble. But there's the one who shows you how to handle trouble. And his name is Jesus.